Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel, Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word... Remember that about your enemy. He always, he's always trying to take what belongs to God. That could be people. That could be praise. Praise belongs to God. Enemy, Satan's always trying to steal our praise, get you worshiping something that's not God. In this case, he was taking land that belonged to God and his people. Sometimes Satan is glad to take fear and reverence. We'd be afraid and reverencing things that are not God where we should only fear God and revere him, but we'd be fearing other things. And so Satan's always going after that which belongs to the Lord. Lucifer's pride was the only reason he was expelled from heaven. He wanted the glory of God for himself. In our lives, he also acts in the same way. Satan tries to lure us away from God by introducing distractions into our lives as soon as we begin to develop a relationship with God. Today, Pastor Bill discusses how to identify and resist the enemy's intentions. Because God values you so much, Satan will always attempt to influence you. However, you can seek God and with his help, block the enemy's plans. Now. Here's Pastor Bill in the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 17, as he begins his message, Lessons from David and Goliath. Look at uh, 1 Samuel, chapter 17. And as we saw, David is, you know, he got to go into the palace. Uh, Saul had evil spirits tormenting him. Uh, They were looking for someone that could play skillfully. And the best that they could find around town was young David. Um, he had he had all these accolades about him that people had recognized that he was that God was with him was the was the most important one. Uh, but that the spirit of God was upon him, that he could play skillfully, that he was a man of valor. And so David was in the palace playing for Saul when the evil spirit would come up with the distress Saul. And so as we come to chapter 17, the scene is a war. There's a battle set up. So let's look at verses one through three and we'll kind of set the stage for what's happening in this chapter. First Samuel 17, verses one through three, it says, Now the Philistines gathered their armies together to battle and were gathered at Sukkoth, which belongs to Judah. Uh, you can write down that Judah means place of praise, that the enemies were encamped in the place where God's people were supposed to be at. They encamped between Sukkoth and Azekah and Ephes Damin. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together And they encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up in battle array against the Philistines. The Philistines stood on the mountain on one side and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with a valley between them. So the stage is set and we got Philistines and their army over here in Judah's territory that belongs. So we need to remember this, that the Philistines are where they don't belong. Right. This is this Judah was territory that God had assigned to his to the tribe of Judah, to his people. But we got the enemy of God, the Philistines, they're in God's territory. And we should just remember that about the enemy. He's always wanting to be in the place where he doesn't belong. The word Judah, the name, it means place of praise. This should be where God's people were offering praises to him. But you got the Philistines there worshiping other gods and everything else. And so they're there where they don't belong. Then you have Israel on the other side, a valley in between them. And there's this standoff. Both armies are there. It says they're in battle array. That means they're outfitted for battle. They're in position to battle. Uh, They got the enemy. They can see who they're supposed to battle. That's the the stage set for for the story we're going to look at in 1 Samuel chapter 17. And something that we'll, we'll, I guess we'll see as we go through the story is, is just 
even though they're in battle array, they're outwardly prepared for battle. Evidently, they're not inwardly prepared. And we'll see that as we get going. You can have a person that externally has everything they're supposed to have. Got a Bible in tow, you know, got, you know, worship songs in queue. Um, we can have all the external stuff, but God's after what? So every, that's where that's where it really gets down from. It's got to be it's got to be real here. And if it's not real here, it's not real. You can put on all the externals. You can put on. That's kind of the, the downside to church. You know, uh, we say there's some people that are churchy people. They got all the externals of church. They can talk churchy talk. God bless you. Blessed and highly favored. Blessed by the best. All that type of stuff. And they got all these things going on, but they ain't living worth nothing. With the, from the inside, there's no love. There's no passion. There's no the things that God brings from the inside out are lacking. They just got all the externals of churchy. Uh, we'll pass on the externals. We want that real stuff. Amen. And so let's move on. It says, um, oh, I guess before we move into the next section, write down as lesson number one. The enemy is always trying to take what belongs to God. So the Philistines and their army are they're in God's territory that God has given his people. They're where they don't belong. They've taken up residence here. They ain't trying to move out and they're holding their ground. They're like, we'll fight you for this. You can't have this. We'll fight you and make you our slaves is what's going to happen here. And so remember that about your enemy. He always he's always trying to take what belongs to God. That could be people. That could be praise. Praise belongs to God. Satan's always trying to steal our praise, get you worshiping something that's not God. In this case, he was taking land that belonged to God and his people. Sometimes Satan is glad to take fear and reverence. We'd be afraid and reverencing things that are not God where we should only fear God and revere him. But we'd be fearing other things. And so Satan's always going after that which belongs to the Lord. So we got to be careful about that. I, I had a conversation with a friend and he told me that God had impressed upon his heart uh, some weeks ago that there was time that he was to set aside apart from work. So time before and after work, that was this time was to be set apart just for God, uh, for worship, for preparation, for ministry, for all these things. And this is what God had put heavy on his heart. He was sure about it. Then some manager person from the devil at work came and said, hey, not your work hours, the time you spend after and before I want you to give me some of that for free. Right. We're not. This is, I want you to give me that time that, that I know you set it aside. He was clear with them. Look, I, I, when I got hired here, I told y'all I, I'm in ministry. So when I'm not here, when I'm here, y'all got me. I'm faithful. When I'm not here, I'm busy. This guy said, give me those hours. Give me some of that time. And it was just a, a picture. That's the Satan said, give me, give me. You set that aside for God. Give it to me. Give it to me. Oh. And we got to be careful about that. Satan always wants that which you may set aside something for the Lord. It may be a time to study the word. It may be a time for prayer. It may be a time for ministry. It may be a time where something you're doing is spiritually beneficial. And Satan's like, let me see if I can get that. Let me see if I can nudge you out of that for a couple extra bucks, for favor with the boss, for you name it. Satan will use whatever tricks he's got. Be careful about Giving up that which now this is I set this aside for the Lord. Don't be tricked out of that. Uh, there's a reason why Satan goes after those things. You'll set something apart from God and Satan knows well, that's going to be dangerous for me. That's going to hurt my kingdom. Let me see if I can't trick them out of that. Be mindful of that. The enemy is always trying to take what belongs to the Lord. Look at verses four through ten. Now it says and a champion. We're going to we'll get introduced to Goliath and a champion went out from the camp of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath whose height was six cubits and a span. This, people estimate this is between 8.5 and 9 feet tall. So 
um, you know, bigger than Shaq. Big, 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 biggin'. So uh, verse five, it says he had a bronze helmet on his head. He was armed with a coat of mail and the weight of his coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. That's about 200 pounds. It says, and he had a bronze, he had bronze armor on his legs and a bronze javelin between his shoulders. Now the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam and the iron of a weaver's beam and his iron spearhead weighed 600 shekels. That's about 25 pounds. So the, just the head of his spear that he had to hold on. This tells you that he was a very strong man to be able to carry all this heavy stuff. It says, and a shield bearer went before him. Verse eight. Then he stood and cried out to the armies of Israel and said to them, why have you come out to line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and you, the servants of Saul, choose a man for yourself and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. So let's talk about a few of these things. First of all, Goliath. Um, uh, interesting, his name. Uh, if you look his name up, but I was, I was getting different things. I was looking up his name, trying to get the gist of it. The idea of his name is, is basically it means to uncover or to remove. One of the places I looked up said it meant to strip. And um, some have suggested that's what he was trying to do to Israel, just to remove them, to strip them of what God had given them and to see them exiled. It says that he was a champion and they use this phrase. A champion is really it's a comes from the Hebrew word, a middleman, the man between two. The idea is that this was a man that stood between two armies and fought as a representation of his army. That's what, you know, a Goliath was. I'm representing all the Philistines. I'm their guy. I'm the champion. I represent all of them. I'm going to stand between them to fight for, you know, my people. His height, again, estimated between 8.5, 9.2. He was a giant. We know that the area of Gath that were known for that. Um, earlier numbers, we learned that the Anakim, A-N-A-K-I-M, were there. And they were giants. The word literally means thick necks. These were, these, so they weren't just tall. These were tall, thick. You need to get that. Because I was, I was wondering, what if he was just tall and skinny? You know, like just bony, you know, but no, he was tall and strong. So um, there was a tall, strong individual that was standing before all of Israel. I would give you uh, lesson number two from the chapter in verses eight through 10 that we just looked at. It says that he cried out to the armies and he said, why did you come out? Am I not a Philistine? And I want you to know this, that Goliath is giving them the terms. He says, hey, choose a man from you guys and fight. He'll fight me if I win. You'll be our servants. If he wins, you'll be our servants. This is lesson number two. The enemy wants to give us his terms to live within. The enemy is trying to set the terms, right? Israel could have decided that we're not doing a one-on-one with you big old, we, I, we rat packing you. We're going to send out, uh, we're going to send everybody that we can. That they were, it, it was him setting terms that favored him, right? If you a big old giant, that favors you. Give me one guy because I don't see nobody big as me out there. That favors him. But if you got somebody that big that, you know, you, you how do you fight a big dude, you know, um, in the streets? You know, I mean, <laughs> you just one on five, one on 10. I mean, we do whatever you got to do. I just look at him setting terms that really favored him. And we want to be careful about that, that the enemy will always set terms that favor him. We can't let the enemy dictate to us how to do what we do. 
But he was setting the terms. Hey, this is how we're going to do it, guys. I'm in charge here. I want you to see how he took center stage. Y'all, I got because I got y'all in fear. I'm going to tell y'all what to do. And he was trying to set the terms. Be aware of that. Be alert to that. The enemy is always trying to set terms for us, how we'll do what we'll do. Um, Verse 11 now, it says, when Saul and all Israel heard these words, the words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. So you got the king who is the leader of the people and you have all of the people in the army. And it says that when they heard the words of Goliath, they were greatly afraid. Lesson number three in verse 11. Lesson number three is this. The enemy uses fear to paralyze us into doing nothing when we should definitely do something. The enemy uses fear to paralyze us into doing nothing when we should definitely do something. And I I just will say this, anybody here that's ever attempted to do something for God, you probably felt afraid, right? You probably felt fear. And sometimes this is spiritual. There could be things that you can have somebody that's brave, naturally brave, not afraid of other things. And then they they stand to do something for God. And there's a terror, a fear that comes upon. Sometimes that's the enemy just to make you afraid to step out, afraid to do the thing that God has called you to do. And so uh, I always preach this, right? Don't ever let fear stop you from attempting something great for God. And I think we just said this. It would be better to fail attempting to do something great for God than to succeed at doing nothing. Amen. It just would be better. I, I remember as a kid, you know, I grew up where I grew up at. We had a we had a large neighborhood of young guys growing up together. And we would go down to they were building the 105 freeway. When I was a kid, the 105, we used to call it the dirt or the dips. And so if you want to get away from mamas and daddies and and go have a little scuffle, you went down to the dirt. But this is what you understood. If you get down to the dirt, get into a fight, ain't nobody saving you. Right. If you if you get whooped, you get everybody's going to laugh. You're just going to be there. Nobody's going to save you. Ain't nobody going to break it up. It was, you know, you were away from all of that. There were going to be no parents. There were going to be no help going on. And so when you went down to the dirt, you under you understood, man, just don't want to lose or go with enough of the buddies. Have a couple guys on cue. Hey, if I get if I go down, man, just snatch, you know, pick me back up or whatever, you know. And that was the the mindset of the idea. I, I remember. Growing up, you know, Mike Tyson was always my favorite boxer. Uh, as a kid, I was a big time. I still am a fan of Mike Tyson's boxing. Not everything else he, he do, but his boxing career when he was on top of things. And so if you guys know this about his career, Mike, if he, Mike had probably the coldest stare down in all of boxing. And he would just stand there with his thick neck. And it just little beady eyes and his eyes, his face wouldn't move. He had beads of sweat and his eyes just followed the person like this as he stood there before he go. And you watch some guys, he, he would see them look away. And Mike says now, he's like, I knew once they looked away, I already beat them. Right. You can't even stand and look at me in my eyes for for a few seconds. I got you. You're already beat. And I believe that some guys were already beat from the stare down. They were already like, just hope you don't hit. I mean, not the guys that committed the first touch. I'm just going to go out. I'm going to be a quick night. You know, I don't even know if everybody was really actually knocked out that he knocked out. But, um, you know, some guys just they just went out like that quickly. We should remember that the enemy will use fear again to paralyze us into doing nothing When we should do something, all of Israel was there in battle array, in battle gear with an enemy in their face and nobody wanted to do anything. They all just stood there. They're all just they're just they're just they're there. They're in position. They're in the army. They're soldiers and nobody wants to go. Even the leader. This is this is the sad thing. Even the leader is afraid. And you guys know fear can be contagious, right? 
What you don't want is a scary leader. You don't want a leader that you want a leader to spirit filled. You want a leader that is if those that are going to lead. You want people to lead to be believing God, trusting God by faith. No one needs a scary leader. You know, you can't have a football team and your, your quarterback is like, guys are killing us. <laughs> you know, you got, you got to have a guy with some grit. You know, you got to have a guy with some, hey, you know, we, we got to go get it done. We got to go to war, man. You know, pick it up. But you don't want some sorry, you know, wimpy leader out there. And so fear is a terrible thing for God's people. It's certainly a terrible thing for the leaders of God's people. Saul is, a, is just Saul's a chump, man. He's scared. The people are scared. Ain't nobody stepping out. The most qualified person to step out against a giant would have been who? Would have been Saul. He was head and shoulders taller than everybody else. And you the king. You are the you. He should have been Israel's champion. Step out. He should have went on out there and got that whooping. If that's what was going to happen in the name of the Lord. But he didn't. He cowered with all the people and he starts making offers of what he'll do for the person that will fight. Look at verses 12 through 15 now. Now, David was the son of that Ephrathite of Bethlehem, Judah, whose name was Jesse and who had eight sons. Remember, we met all them when Samuel went out to anoint the next king of Israel and uh, God taught him the lesson that, you know, that God doesn't see like man sees. And so it says that, and the man was old, advanced in years in the days of Saul. So Jesse, David's father, was old and advanced in years in these days. It says the three oldest sons of Jesse had gone to follow Saul to the battle. The names of his three sons who went to the battle were Eliab. That's the one that Samuel thought was surely the next king of Israel, right? So he's at the battle, the firstborn next to him, Abinadab, and the third, Shema. David was the youngest, and the three oldest followed Saul. But David occasionally went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. So here we see this, right? The men that looked most qualified, Saul, who had been selected by the people, the people's choice as a king, Eliab, who Samuel thought for sure this is the next king of Israel. These guys had physical size and strength and everything else, but neither one of them were prepared for the spiritual battle. They weren't equipped. They weren't ready to go. And so the guy that is going to be ready to go is seems to be the least likely choice. Right. David wasn't even thought well enough of by his dad to be brought out to the lineup when Samuel came out to see all the sons and Israel's best. Israel's chosen best are all paralyzed in fear, off on the sidelines, doing nothing. Um, number four, lesson number four, it is often the case that that which is highly esteemed by God is not highly esteemed by others because God's value system is different. David wasn't even thought enough of to be brought out to be chosen. David wasn't thought enough of to be invited out to the battle. But David's going to be the guy that gets it done. Amen. And so be mindful of that. Sometimes we live in a world and we can get beat down. The world can beat us down, but people aren't believing in me. Other people aren't suggesting me. I wasn't given the position. People didn't ask me if I could do whatever. You got to know who you are in Christ. You got to know who you are in God. And you might not have people encouraged. We're going to see that David, David doesn't have one human being encourage him in this chapter. Everyone that takes the time to speak to David speaks discouragement. So the only people that care enough to speak, speak discouragement. Not one person stands with them. Not one, not one person says, yay, David, you go, brother. Nobody, nothing. But you know what? David didn't need that. You know what David had? A relationship with the Lord. Remember that. Remember that because we live in the same kind of world David lived in where people esteem all the wrong things. And you might get looked over. You might be, th- people might look at you and think, oh, you don't have it. You're not what I'm looking for. That's not what I want. Don't worry about that. 
You were God once. You've been chosen by him, right? God says in John 15, 16, you didn't choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he'll give you. He chose you. You're enough because he chose you. We need to be mindful of that, that we don't get that. We don't start believing other people that we believe God, not what other people have said or how we've been treated by others. Maybe your family. Maybe you're not esteemed well in your family. Maybe they look down on you because you're a believer. Maybe they don't value faith like you do. Um, Don't let that dissuade you or hinder you. You continue to go forth in the Lord. Again, lesson number four, it is often the case that that which is highly esteemed by God is not highly esteemed by others. God's value system is different. Verse 16, and the Philistines drew near and presented themselves 40 days, morning and evening. So this this event happened for 40 days straight. I want you guys to think about that. 40 days in a row, you got this dude stepping out on the scene, coming out to the valley. They're on this side. You're on that side. Everybody's gang, gang, ready to go to war. Everybody got the battle arrangements on. And he's like, hey, send me somebody to fight with me. Who want this? There's a rapper. If you, anybody here likes rap, uh, you get just look this up on YouTube when we leave the church. There's a rapper named his name is K-9. So look up K-9, David and Goliath. He raps uh, this story. It is hilarious. It's as well done. It's hilarious as well. It's got some little people like some little hood vibes on David and Goliath. But, you know, as you look at the thing here, you know, he he, he says that, that Goliath would come out every day, rip his shirt and say, who want to get hurt? You know, and I'm um, just banging on them every day. And nobody wanted nobody wanted to smoke with Goliath 40 days in a row. Think about this for an army. That means you went to bed and woke up 40 days in a row and nobody caught courage. Nobody went to bed saying, you know, what? that's enough. Nobody woke up one day and said, man, forget it. I'm just going to die then. But I'm going not 40 days in a row. There's nobody there that was willing to step up king or soldier or anybody else. 40 in scripture is a is the symbolic of what? Judgment. Right. And so you wonder if this is man, this is the, the judgment on them for not believing God, not having nobody among y'all has faith. You know, that's among God's children, the God's people. Whenever God's people won't move forward in faith. They do fall into the judgment of God. Remember that Israel, when God had brought them to the promised land, told them that they were going to he was giving it to them. They didn't believe God. They believed the bad report of the, the spies. And so they wandered in the wilderness and they died in the wilderness. God said, y'all going to die here. Your kids can go, but y'all not going to get to go to the promised land. Not because if y'all had a fight, if y'all had a fight, y'all would have won because I would have fought for you. But you didn't believe me. So now you don't get to go. And what if this army would have said in the name of the Lord, we go. I think God would have gave him the victory, but not one man was willing to do any of it. So so God had to raise up somebody else. Now, look at verses 17 through 23. It says, then Jesse said to his son, David, take now for your brothers an ephah of this dry grain and these 10 loaves and run to your brothers at the camp and carry these 10 cheeses to the captains of their thousands and see how your brothers fare and bring back news of them. Now, Saul and all um, Saul and they. And all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. I laughed when I read that. I had to go back and forth. It was, there, was, there was just verbal jousting, right? They, there wasn't nobody fighting nobody, right? So they were arguing, they were, they were screaming back and forth, but they, they weren't, they, nobody was taken to task. Sounds different than what was physically happening there. So uh, verse 20 then says, and so David arose early in the morning, left his sheep with a keeper, took the things and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the camp. As the army was going out to fight and shouting for the battle for Israel and the Philistines had drawn up in battle array against the army 
And David left his supplies in the hand of the supply keeper and ran to the army and came and greeted his brothers. Then as he talked with them, there was the champion of the Philistines, a Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, coming up from the armies of the Philistines. And he spoke according to the same words. So David heard them. We know there are many ways that you can spend your day. But we're delighted that you chose to spend time with us today in the book of 1 Samuel. Pastor Bill is the voice behind these teachings here on A Transforming Word. We genuinely trust that what you're hearing is truly having a transforming effect on your life through listening to God's Word. What is standing out to you about the book of 1 Samuel? Is it the character of Samuel and how he came to the position he did in Israel? Perhaps your curiosity is piqued by the accounts of young David fighting off wild animals, and even fighting against a giant enemy. There are all kinds of accounts of fights, chases, and running away from someone who was once trusted. There are also great moments of David and Jonathan and their friendship. This Old Testament book can be such a treasure of information, history, and life lessons. We hope that you're connecting with it in multiple ways today. A Transforming Word is a radio ministry based out of Calvary Chapel, Inglewood, in Inglewood, California. Would you come visit us? Sunday morning services are at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. For those not in the area, you can live stream our service on YouTube, Facebook, or Instagram. Look for links on our website, calvaryinglewood.org. Our time with you today is about up, but please join us again for the next edition as Pastor Bill continues to teach through the book of 1 Samuel. Until then, keep learning and growing in the Word, and be expected for another great message here on A Transforming Word.